Welcome to Putting Up Numbers, the podcast about uniform numbers. Here we break down the greatest to ever wear the number with the Hall of Fame, Hall of Shame, and so much more. I'm Tom Davis here in the City of Angels, joining me from Big D, mi amigo, mi compadre, mi hermano de otra madre, Rudy Klanik. Rudy, tell him today's number. Tom, today's number is the number 25. Number 25 is our number of choice. And uh, man, we talked to quite the number 25. We've had some really great guests, but I think this is the topper for us so far. I think you're right about that. Our guest today is former big league pitcher Jim Abbott. And Rudy, how cool was it to talk to somebody like Jim? Oh man, it was it was awesome. I I'm such a fan. Um, obviously, the story of what he overcame to not only play baseball, period, but to star in high school, to excel at the University of Michigan, and then he played in the major leagues and threw a no hitter wearing a Yankee uniform at Yankee Stadium. Wow, <laughs> it was awesome, and uh, and a great guy. So uh, really look forward to. Uh, everyone listening to this interview, it was uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, and you've heard me say this before, Rudy, but his book, Imperfect, might be the best athlete autobiography that I've ever read. Really great book. Um, so I hope you enjoy it. Here's Rudy and I and the great Jim Abbott. Today's guest is one of the most inspirational players in sports history. Born without a right hand, Jim Abbott had his number 31 retired by the University of Michigan, where he also won the Sullivan Award as the nation's best amateur athlete. Now, here's a year for you. In 1988, he won the gold medal game in the Olympics and was a first-round selection of the California Angels. He went on to play 10 years in the big leagues, including a no-hitter in 1993. Jim, welcome to Putting Up Numbers. Well, it's an honor to be here. I'm looking forward to it breaking new ground here. <laughs> Jim, you know, we, we were talking a little bit off air, but tell us again how the number 25 came your way when you joined the Angels. I got to the Angels in the spring of 1989. You know, I had played in the Olympics in the in the fall, and then so spring training was my first time, uh, you know, kind of playing professional baseball. I was in a big league clubhouse. I was surrounded with Lance Parrish and Burt Blylevin and all guys with very established numbers and, and very established careers. And uh, I was the rookie in the furthest corner of the locker room, and they gave me number 60 <laughs> as a rookie pitcher and then, you know, sort of be to be determined. And uh, as, as I had a good spring, I pitched pretty well, and it was, kind of became a story of might I make the team, might I not. And, and so it, right just before spring training broke, I made the team. My number in high in college had always been 31. My number at the Olympics was 31, but Chuck Finley had already laid claim to that, so I couldn't couldn't use that. So my friend Tim Mead with the Angels, who is now the president of the Hall of Fame, one of his very favorite baseball players ever was Don Baylor. Don Baylor had been an exemplary person and leader and clubhouse guy and role model, and Tim personally made the trip over to me and said, listen, I want you to wear number 25, because I, I would hope that you would aspire to be all of the things that Don Baylor was to the Angel organization. And and so it was a great honor for me to wear that. It was a great honor for me to relate that to Don Baylor, who was very touched by that. So, you know, it had a, had a certain backstory there that I was proud of. Jim, you also, you know, you were five in high school, you were 21 as a high school football player and 31 at Michigan. Uh, well, and I guess also 52 there for a little piece with, uh, <laughs> yeah. with the Angels as well. Any significance to any of those numbers for you? 
Well, I hated 52, <laughs> and I don't know why I kept wearing that. I, I was, you know, I went to the Yankees where I wore 25, um, which has been kind of fun to see the different guys who've worn it since then. I think if any organization in, in all of sports, the numbers on the back of the Yankee jerseys are uh, are very identifiable with players who have worn them. And so, um, but then I was, you know, I was traded back to the Angels and Jim Edmonds was the center fielder for the, for the Angels and he had started to make a name for himself. And, and, and I was kind of coming back to the organization. So I didn't want to make waves. So they just gave me 52 and, and it was the inverse of 25 and, it was the inverse of luck, too. <laughs> Any baseball card I see with 52 on it, I don't like it very much. But, uh, yeah, you know, some of it, some of that stuff, there's a rhyme and reason, too. And sometimes you just you just take what's out there. I think I have a baseball card of yours with number 60 on it. Is there a baseball card with you with 60 back in the day? There is. Yeah. There's, well, I, when I was invited to spring training in that first year as a rookie, number 60 was hanging in my locker. And uh, yeah, right. I don't think... They had no plans of me making the team, and 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 I didn't really think it was a possibility either. My I was supposed to go to Midland, Texas, for Double uh, A ball. That was my destination, but I pitched well, and and I, I ended up making the opening day roster, and I had to get a real number, and I wasn't going to wear sixty out there. Absolutely. Well, twenty five fits you really well at first stint, and obviously twenty five with the Yankees. Twenty five was your main number as a pro. Are there other 25s that you've looked around and say, man, those guys wore that with pride? You know, that, that was, that's a player that, uh, that did the 25 proud. Is there other guys, uh, in any sport that you think of? I was like, yeah, that's the guy. Yeah, that's a great question. 25. Who has worn? I, I know that there is, and I know Jim Edmonds, you know, had a great career with 25. I, I think, uh, with the Yankees, I think Giambi wore 25. Am I right on yeah. that? Yep. There's a, there's a few other ones. As many times as Mark McGuire trotted around the bases off me, I mean, you'd think I would know exactly what number he was. He was 25 and Bonds was 25. Tommy was 25. It was a good number though. I really liked that number and, and, um, you know, I'm proud to have worn it and I hope to have lived up to, uh, you know, Tim's expectations and, uh, Don Baylor is remembered so well everywhere he went, you know, whether it was with the Yankees or, you know, all the different places he played. So to do that with that number, it was pretty cool. Speaking of living up to uh, to expectations, I mean, you've obviously been an inspirational figure to a lot of people all over the world. And you continue to do that to this day as an inspirational speaker as well. How does that make you feel, Jim? It's really something that I've come to appreciate later in life. Playing professional baseball is is and and I guess even the fight on the way up to professional baseball it's so competitive and it's so much fun and it's great you know and, and but it's it's a very insulated world you spend a lot of time traveling place to place with your teammates uh, there's a lot of public scrutiny of your performance you know your free time is very precious and so it's difficult to have a, a 30,000 foot worldview when you're living that life, you know, when you're just constantly going to ballpark, you know, and you're lifting your weights, you're doing your routine, you're pitching, and then you do it again, then the off season comes. And, and yet, it wasn't until a few years after I retired, and, and I had mixed emotions about my career, to be honest. There were great moments that I was incredibly proud of. There was some disappointment at the end. I would have liked to have pitched longer than I did. And so I didn't really know how to make sense of all that until I started traveling around and I started meeting people. And it didn't matter where, in Florida or California or Iowa, or it didn't matter. You know, people recognize baseball. 
you know, they, they relate to it and they know the people who play it and they know the stories of it. And, and to start to hear from those people and the families and kids who were similar to me, boys and girls, maybe missing a hand, part of an arm, it, it really makes you so appreciative of living in that world and, and being a part of Major League Baseball. And uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm really sad that right now we're going through such an impasse in the labor situation right now because uh, those stories could speak to people. It could, it could bring some, some joy to people in ways that I don't even know that the custodians of the game truly appreciate. Really well said. Speaking of the, the times that we're in, crazy times for a bunch of reasons, obviously. What are some of the messages that, that you are passing folks, whether it's about this quarantine and the uncertainty of that, whether it's about the situation that we're, this country is dealing with, the systemic racism and the issues with, with that. A lot of sports figures are obviously talking out, uh, rightfully so. Um, but what are, what are some of the things you've been talking to folks about and, and trying to focus on the positives that we can all take out of this? That's a great question. I, you know, I don't want to sound cliche, but I played on a lot of teams that I was very proud to play on. Uh, I played in the Olympic team and won a gold medal and played in the big leagues. And, and, and one of the great things, one of the things you miss the most is sitting in a locker room with 25 other teammates and 10 more coaches and training staff and, and clubhouse staff. And every one of those guys has a different story to tell and a different background they come from. You hear every kinds of music in a major league clubhouse. You got, you got rap and salsa and country music and rock. And there's always a fight at the stereo to see who wins out that battle. But there is something really special about team sports and coming together, putting aside backgrounds and, and, and fighting for a common cause. You know, I think that's really beautiful. And I think team sports are beautiful for those reasons and something that I really aspire to and, and, and try to encourage people to look at is creating teams again. You know, it's not easy to do outside of an athletic arena, uh, but we can make teams of family. We can make teams of business. We can make teams of, of, of pretty much any group of people that we come together with. And, and, and by doing that, I think there's a tremendous amount of empathy and a tremendous amount of understanding of each other. And so I wish everybody could be in a locker room for 162 games a year <laughs> and see see people go through the ups and the downs and the humility and the fight of a major league season. So, Jim, we've entered the plug zone where you get to tell us uh, what you're up to these days and feel free to plug anything and everything Websites, social media outlets, anything you want. But tell us what you're uh, doing with your time these days. Well, I, you know, I have to, I have been doing some speaking. I'm not a huge fan of the motivational speaker term because <laughs> uh, I don't know that that's exactly what I do. But um, I, I get a chance to speak to a lot of great people in a lot of great places, and um, you know, share the lessons that I went through playing. Um, so I'm really proud of that. I'm proud of. You know, I'm sure my public speaking teacher in Michigan never foresaw that I would ever get up in front of the stage and speak to people. But, you know, I do do that. And, and um, it's really cool. And it's incredibly rewarding to connect with people. And I miss it. I hope to get back to that soon. But um, right now, I'm just with everybody else praying for 
better times in our country, more understanding, you know, looking within all of ourselves to, to, to try to be better and, and to try to make this country something we all can be really proud of again. Well, I don't, I don't think we can improve on that. I think we'll, uh, we'll leave it right there. But Jim, it's been a great thrill to have you on the podcast. And when number 25 comes up, we always uh, throw your name out there just because of the player that you were and the person that you are. So we appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast. Well, thanks, guys. It's a pleasure to be associated with it no matter where I played. And um, uh, good luck with the podcast. I'll, I'll be listening in to see what other numbers there are to follow. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Jim. Bye-bye, guys. Many thanks to Jim Abbott for stopping in to putting up numbers. We truly appreciate it. Uh, Rudy, we get to do the contenders for the greatest number 25 of all time. And, and, and what a list we have. I'm actually going to start in baseball. And of course, you can't really have a conversation about number 25 without talking about maybe the greatest 25, but certainly the most polarizing 25, Barry Bonds. Yeah, that's a good word for it. Um, I hate Barry Bonds. I think you hate Barry Bonds. Who doesn't hate I think Barry Bonds? I think everybody outside the uh, city of San Francisco hates Barry Bonds, but the numbers are crazy. He's an incredible player. As a lifelong Dodger fan, I vow to hate anybody wearing a Giants uniform, but man, he's a great one to start with. The 25 is a really pretty interesting number on the baseball side because obviously we have Barry Bonds, which we'll we'll talk about later when we talk about the best ever. We've got Mark McGuire. Man, Mark McGuire, what a great 25. Another super controversial 25. Steroid era 25, but still some amazing numbers. Lots of arguments about Mark and the Hall of Fame and whatnot. Um, as a St. Louis Cardinals fan, Tom, what, what's your points, uh, good, bad, and otherwise, about the big man? You know, McGuire, a, a great player, wore 25 his entire career. And it's just, it's it's hard, you know, I... I don't really care that players took steroids, um, which may put me in the minority of baseball fans. You think about the stuff that happened in the 90s between uh, the steroid era and Lance Armstrong and other stuff. And it was like we were basically just lied to for an entire decade. And I'm having a hard time with that. I have to I have to admit, I remember when you and I were fortunate enough to watch him take basically batting practice uh, as part of a. TV commercial that we were working on at the time for DirecTV, watching him just, you know, smoke batting practice fastballs over the fence. And I thought, man, this is like Babe Ruth. This is like the coolest thing ever. This is going to be the coolest thing in our lives. We'll be talking about forever. And then all of the crap in the steroid era, it kind of, it soiled that memory, man. It like It was like, oh, man, that sucks. <laughs> Somebody that I don't have a hard time with, speaking of now kicking it back over into your court with being a Dodger fan, Tommy John, great number 25, 288 wins, seventh most all time, uh, obviously is the namesake of Tommy John surgery. So who couldn't see that coming, right? It's like Lou Gehrig dying of Lou Gehrig's disease. <laughs> but the guy also has 188 no decisions, which is a major league record. I really think that this is a guy who should be in the Hall of Fame for more than just being remembered for having an elbow reconstructed. Totally agree, man. He's 12 wins shy of 300. You know, one of the greatest left-handed starting pitchers ever. And pitched 14 years after Tommy John surgery. So obviously that was successful. A lot of these guys that we're going to talk about in 25, it's interesting on the baseball side, probably should be in the Hall of Fame. This one's not an argument about steroids. This is more of an argument about success on the field. But uh, man, he should be in there for sure. 
you know, I know another 25, a big bopper, both of us saw a lot of was, uh, was Jim Tomei. Great, great player for the Indians forever. They retired that number. Uh, 612 home runs. Man, I had to look at that twice. I, I still find that. He hit 612 like, home runs? Really? It's like the the player that time forgot. I just can't believe that happened. I can't believe he's eighth all time. Just incredible. Obviously, he is a Hall of Famer, elected in 2018 and five-time All-Star. Just seems like a good overall guy. But let's talk about some other, other guys, other baseball 25s. Maybe not you know, contenders on on the top of the list. We obviously talked about Jim Abbott as an amateur, uh, won the Golden Spikes Award, was the first amateur baseball player to win the Sullivan Award, beat the Cubans on Cuban soil, won a gold medal in the Olympics, did pretty much everything that you can think of. So Abbott was a great 25. But here's another guy. And and again, everything's going to go back to the Cardinals. But Jose Cruz, (laughs) who was a Cardinal, Got traded to the Astros and basically is, you know, is one of the greatest players in Astros history. His number 25 is retired by the Astros. I know you hate talking about the Astros. Yeah, I hate him. Hate but, him but you know, I hate it. And I hated Jose Cruz, but he was a great player. And he is, he's Astro royalty, Jose Cruz. He's still a big deal down in Houston. Man, if that guy played today, I, I feel like he would be even a bigger star than he was during his era. Because uh, he could do a little bit of everything and did everything well. So, yeah, great 25 for sure. Um, I know another one that we had on our list of, of notables was uh, was Don Baylor, another Texan or a Texan. Don Baylor, what a trailblazer. One of three African-Americans to integrate Austin, Texas schools. Amazing football player. Uh, would would have played football for Daryl Royal at the University of Texas, but Coach Royal didn't want Don Baylor to play baseball. Go figure. Should have let him play baseball. He probably would have been a hell of a football player for the Longhorns. Ended up playing 19 seasons, won a World Series with the Twins, was AL MVP in 1979. And he has that really interesting record of being the player that got hit the most by pitches. 267 times. Talk about crowding the plate, man. And he didn't do it with body armor. He did it with like a forearm. <laughs> yeah, Don Baylor is a, a great choice and a, and a decent manager. You know, he, he won manager yeah. of the year. Uh, one of the few players, Joe Torre, Kirk Gibson, Frank Robinson, the only three other players to win manager of the year and also win an MVP. And let's round up baseball here, Rudy, with one of the great stories of all time. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily a great player, but Bobby Bonilla. We have to talk about Bobby Bonilla because – uh, July 1st is uh, Bobby Bonilla Day. And the story, of course, is that the Mets owed him $5.9 million. But if you remember, the Mets owners had been built by Bernie Madoff, and so they didn't have money. And so they agreed to make annual payments of $1.2 million for 25 years, uh, which is 8% interest for those of you doing fast math in your head. So Bobby Bonilla gets $1.2 million a year every July 1st until 2035, when he'll be 72 <laughs> years old. So, yeah, that nice is, that's there incredible. By Bobby and Bobby's agent, uh, and Bobby Bonilla, um, a, a famous uh, 25. Yeah, high five to Bobby Bonilla. A good player, played with Barry Bonds in Pittsburgh. Both of them went on to bigger and better things, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, we've got three guys were in 25 that are intertwined. Don Baylor is part of the Jim Abbott 
number 25 story, as is Jim Edmonds, uh, who was a really good 25 for the Angels and probably had the single greatest catch in the outfield that I've ever seen, diving towards the uh, fence on the warning track. But Jim Evans, a great 25 for the uh, Cardinals and the Angels. Well, Edmonds wore 15 in, in St. Louis because uh, McGuire was wearing 25. And I'm not conflicted about Jim Edmonds as a Cardinal. Wasn't a huge Jim Edmonds fan, although there are people in St. Louis who will fight you if you say that Jim Edmonds is not a Hall of Famer. <laughs> so Jim Edmonds is still held in high regard in St. Louis certainly held in high regard in, in Anaheim and is held in high regard by the folks who watch E! Entertainment Television because his wife or his ex-wife or some relationship <laughs> to him is one of the uh, real housewives of, of Orange County or Beverly Hills or some such thing. That's quite the deep dive, Tom. <laughs> yes, yes. We went further on uh, We went further on Jim Edmonds than I thought we were going to. But anyway, yeah, so that's our baseball list. So there's quite a few contenders, obviously, in baseball. Basketball, a little bit less so. You know, I think you start with somebody like Gail Goodrich. Goodrich, who had 25, retired both at UCLA and with the L.A. Lakers. Another 25 on the basketball side is Chet the Jet. Walker. Of course, a guy named Chet is nicknamed the Jet. Seven-time All-Star, won a title with the 76ers in 1967. A really good player, another guy that played with some just amazing talent, played on the same team as Wilt Chamberlain, on the same team as Hal Greer, Billy Cunningham, just a fantastic player. He also, this is a little Tom Davis deep dive again, also played for the Bulls, and appeared in season three of our favorite old-time show, The White Shadow. Yeah. Ken Reeves. Uh, he was Ken Reeves' teammate Ken on Reeves the Bulls. Teammate, That's awesome. In Chicago, yeah. Ken Reeves wearing number 14 with the knee injury that really cut short a, a very promising career for him <laughs> to Carver High, where he uh, you know, led Coolidge and Thorpe and the rest of the Salami. game. As you know, Rudy, I have a connection to the University of San Francisco, and, and one of my favorite players there was, was a guy named Casey Jones. You know, Casey Jones is a, a winner almost at the same level as another USF grad, Bill Russell. So Casey Jones and Bill Russell won two national championships at the University of San Francisco. He won a gold medal in the 1956 Olympics, uh, and he is an eight-time NBA champion. So his number 25 is retired by the Celtics. Uh, number four is retired uh, at the University of San Francisco. Casey Jones was was a great number 25, so he definitely belongs on the list as well. Yeah, for sure. A couple college guys, uh, guys that had fantastic college careers were in 25. Danny Manning from the University of Kansas. I mean, basically single-handedly won a national championship on his back in 1988. Was the best player on the planet in college basketball that year. They retired that number. And Penny Hardaway at Memphis. Man, Penny Hardaway was a phenomenal player. The seasons he had at Memphis really pushed them to new heights. And then obviously he had a, you know, a successful career, injury filled, but a successful career in a pros where he changed numbers, wore number one because of another guy that was a pretty good college player um, and a really solid pro, Nick Anderson. Um, Nick Anderson was number 25 with Orlando. That's why Penny went to one. But um, Penny Hardaway was a great 25 at Memphis for sure. Yeah, we'll talk about Nick Anderson at number 25 later on in, in the show. And Penny Hardaway is now the head coach uh, at Memphis. And his son, Jaden, wears number 25. Yep. So they took it out of mothballs for the family connection, which is cool. 
you know, some other folks just to kind of throw out there. I don't again, these guys might not be at the top of our list, but think about great shooters. Uh, and you think about the number 25 guys like Mark Price, guys like Steve Kerr, guys like uh, big shot Bob Ori, even though, uh, you know, some of his biggest shots were with the Lakers when he was wearing number five. I'd throw Paul Pressey into that mix uh, yeah. as well. And then you've got guys like Doc Rivers, uh, who wore 25 throughout a 13-year NBA career. And then Vince Carter, uh, who, again, has been playing in the NBA since uh, 1947. Vince <laughs> Carter wore 25 in Phoenix and there in Big D with your Dallas Mavericks. Yep. That's a basketball list, a pretty good list overall. Vince Carter was in the same draft class as Kobe Bryant. So... There you go. <laughs> Let's dive into, I know your favorite sport, Rudy. We'll, we'll, do, we'll do hockey first, and then we'll do football. Hockey, you know, you've only got a few guys who wear 25. 25 is not really a huge hockey number, but Dave Anderchuk is probably one of the first names that comes to mind, one of the highest scoring left wingers in NHL history. You know, he has the NHL record for power play goals, 274 power play goals. Finally won a Stanley Cup with Tampa Bay. In 04, there's actually a statue of him in front of the arena, was elected into the Hall of Fame in 2017. So Dave Anderchuk, a great number 25, as was Joe Neuendijk. Joe Neuendijk, 500 goals, 500 assists in his career, uh, won the Stanley Cup three times with three different teams, Calgary, Dallas, and the New Jersey Devils. So, so Joe Neuendijk belongs on the list. And then going back a little bit, Jacques Lemaire. Jacques Lemaire played for the Canadians when the Canadians were the Canadians. He's somebody that should be at least mentioned in the conversation of crate 25s in the NHL. Anybody else that you'd add to the list in the NHL? You know, I wouldn't add anybody in the list to the NHL, but I am going to um, throw a curveball here. I'm going to add somebody from NASCAR. Oh, okay. you over you overlook NASCAR every time we do this, and you <laughs> shouldn't do this. Well, you the numbers are on the cars, not the people. It's okay; it still counts. I mean, why, why wouldn't we? We got to consider the cars a very important part. NASCAR it's all about the numbers, bro. Yeah, I guess that. I guess it's that's true. About the numbers. You know, Richard Petty is forty three, and that's true. That's true. Yeah. Is number three, and Jimmy Johnson's forty eight, and Dale Earnhardt's number three is indelible in NASCAR history. But actually, number 25 has interesting history. So a gentleman named Tim Richmond drove the number 25 Folgers car back in the day. And there's a really good documentary called To the Limit that was done about his life. Interesting stuff. NASCAR. We got to we got to we got to focus on NASCAR a little bit more um, when we dive into these numbers. So I'm, I'm giving a little shout out to Tim Richmond's Folgers number 25. There you go. Let's talk a little bit of football here. And, and, and maybe this conversation centers around Fred Bolitnikoff. Um, as a Chiefs fan, I hated the Raiders and I hated Fred Bolitnikoff with a red hot passion growing up. But the dude could catch the football. Mr. Stickham. Yeah, man. As a kid, that guy was evil. He never dropped the football, it seemed. And I was a Dolphin fan. So he, he did the Dolphins dirty on several occasions, including the I don't know, arguably one of the greatest playoff games ever. But the guy was amazing. And running back at Florida State, Florida State guy, I think I might miss that in a trivia contest of like, where did Fred Belitnikoff go to college? I don't think Florida State like springs to mind when you think of Fred Belitnikoff, but he went there before Florida State was really Florida State, but a running back there. And I guess he chose number 25 because of Tommy McDonald, right? Yeah, and Tommy McDonald, people are talking about LaShawn McCoy now because he's finishing his career, and he was a number 25 also with the yep. Eagles. 
you know, and they're talking about, well, should we retire LaShawn McCoy's number? LaShawn McCoy wasn't the best 25 in Eagles history. Tommy McDonald was. <laughs> for sure. Played 12 years for the Eagles, Cowboys, Rams, Falcons, and Browns. Won the NFL championship in 1960. Uh, was ranked sixth all-time in receptions when he retired and fourth in yards. And was the last non-kicker to play without a face mask. <laughs> nice. Tough yeah, guy. <laughs> we talked about Gary Premian when we talked about number one because he was the last kicker to not wear a face mask. Tommy McDonald was the last non-kicker, so he is a running back not wearing a face mask. And the NFL instituted what they called the Tommy McDonald rule in 1960 because Tommy McDonald refused to wear a face mask, and so they mandated face masks in 1960, and they called it the Tommy McDonald rule because they knew that he would never wear one if he didn't have to because he thought it was for sissies. And so, Tommy McDonald is the last non-kicker to ever not have a face mask on his helmet. <laughs> well, times have changed. I just saw a helmet released by Shut, which makes helmets for high school, college, and pro, and it's got a splash guard on it. So, we've, all, we've had the visor for years, but now with COVID-19, we've developed the splash guard. So, um, we're getting closer to stormtroopers, I think. But, you know, whatever, man. Tommy McDonald would never wear the splash guard or the face mask or anything, it sounds like. So, a great 25 for sure on the football side. Let's talk about some sentimental guys. Maybe, Rudy, these guys aren't at the top of the list. Uh, again, it's funny. The thing that keeps coming up here as we're talking about 25 is, here's a guy who was a great 25, and I hated his team, or I hated him. <laughs> Rocket Ismail at Notre Dame. I hate Notre Dame. They're so overrated. It's unbelievable. And yet, he somehow lost the Heisman Trophy to Ty Detmer from BYU, still trying to figure that one out. You know, he went to the CFL rather than play in the NFL and went to Toronto at the time when Toronto was owned by Bruce McDonald, Wayne Gretzky, and, and the late, great John Candy. Signed a four-year deal for an average of $4.5 million a year. Uh, when the CFL had a salary cap of $3.8 million per team. He uh, had the largest football contract or largest contract in football, I guess I should say, uh, at the time when he played in the CFL. And then in my research, I was shocked to find out that he actually had not one, but two thousand yard receiving seasons in the end. He was good, man. When he went to Carolina and Dallas, I mean, he was he was solid player for them. And uh, man, at Notre Dame, he was Awesome. And I I would hazard a guess people would think he had won the Heisman. I actually thought he did win the Heisman. And then I was like, wait a minute, he lost the Heisman to Ty freaking Detmer. So, you know, just a quick sentimental pick. I know we got we got to move on. We got other things to do. But Jim Bakken was a kicker for the St. Louis football Cardinals and has the or had the record for seven field goals in a single game. He was seven of nine in a game in 1967, which was later broken by Rob Baronis of the Titans, who hit eight field goals in one game. Seven, seven out of nine, by the way. Seven out of nine. He attempted nine field goals in a game. What a, what a fun game that must have been. Um, one more name on our list. Uh, we can't forget. We should never forget the great Haven Moses. <laughs> I love Haven Moses. I love his name. You love his name. He certainly was a good player, man, in the Bron Denver Broncos ring of honor for two big touchdowns to get the Broncos to their first Super Bowl ever in which they were demolished by the Dallas Cowboys. But you know what? So what? That was cool. But what a great name played with uh, the great Craig Morton. Craig Morton throwing them balls. Um, but number 25 playing wide out. That was unique and cool because it was Haven Moses. 
Yeah, and Abed Moses is a super cool name, and he looked cool wearing number 25, and the Broncos should go back to the orange uniforms. <laughs> anyway, so that's our contenders list. I think it's a pretty exhaustive list, to say the very least. But let's switch gears a little bit, Rudy. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. It's time. It's time for Screen Stars. <laughs> Once again, for those of you who are new to the podcast, these are actors in sports films who wore the number 25 with distinction. And this is a pretty short list, Rudy. There's only three that I could find in my research. And so these are the three that are on the list. And we're going to go three to one here. Three pretty good movies uh, and three pretty memorable characters. But here we go. Number three. Harold Sylvester as DC Dacey in Fast Break from 1979. Uh, Gabe Kaplan is a basketball coach. DC Dacey is a fugitive from justice and the big man in the middle for Cadwallader University. Uh, Harold Sylvester in real life is only 6'4", but for some reason he was the center in this movie, which also <laughs> stars Michael Warren and Bernard King. Uh, so Harold Sylvester as DC Dacey is number three. Your recollections, Rudy, of Fast Break. Man, I have zero recollections of Fast Break. I love Gabe Kaplan, or what is it? <laughs> Gabe, Gabe Kaplan, you love him too. <laughs> but I am not a big Fast Break guy. I just wasn't. I love basketball. I love the fish to say Pittsburgh, but Fast Break just missed my, it missed my Netflix, bro. Well, I know you've seen the next movie, Wesley Snipes. <laughs> as Trumaine in Wildcats from 1986. This is the big screen debut, not only for Wesley Snipes, but also for Woody Harrelson. Uh, ah, the, the pairing, the pairing has started. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Wesley Snipes, of course, has been in White Man Can't Jump. He was also in the super terrible movie, The Fan, where he played a Barry Bonds type character who actually played for the Giants, but this guy wore number 33, and that movie sucked so hard, it's unbelievable. Uh, so let's skip right on to number one, the unforgettable Mark Arnold as Mick McAllister in Teen Wolf, just an unbelievably irredeemable character, yeah. uh, and and the foil to Michael J. Fox's character in, in the film. Rudy, if you tell me that you haven't seen Teen Wolf, we're going to stop the podcast right no, now. No, no. Of course I've seen Teen Wolf. And I, I agree with you. Mark Arnold as Mick McAllister knocked it out of the park in terms of being a jerk off to our star. Um, but yeah, man, number 25, Teen Wolf. That's an easy pick for our best of... Um, the worst category, which is screen stars, but that's okay. <laughs> All right. So to summarize yet again, Rudy's favorite category, screen stars. Number three, Harold Sylvester, DC Dacey in the 1979 classic Fast Break. Number two, Wesley Snipes as Trumaine in Wildcats from 1986. And number one, all-time great movie dick, Mark Arnold as Mick McAllister in Teen Wolf from 1985. Way to go, Mark. Let's talk a little bit about, I know Rudy, last time we met, we had a little bit of a discussion about Hall of Shame and what it means yep. and what it doesn't mean. Uh, we workshopped it, we took it around, we did some focus groups, done a lot of work on this, and, and we've now emerged with a new part of the Hall of Shame. So Rudy, please take it away and explain that. Yeah, yeah, so branding matters, and I felt like the Hall of Shame was a tough branding beat for some of the guys that we were talking about, because some of the guys we were talking about, it's 
a shame that they were hurt, something happened in their careers. It wasn't really their fault, but that's why their careers were cut short. And so we're going to call that part of the Hall of Shame, if you will, the Derrick Rose Award. Because Derrick Rose is first ballot Hall of Famer. If that guy doesn't have injuries to hold him back, he can still go. But man, what we missed was just unfulfilled potential. And he happens to be a number 25, which is cool. So Derrick Rose is the uh, the inaugural Derrick Rose Award winner. <laughs> yeah, and, and just to keep on the Derrick Rose theme for a minute, Derrick Rose went to Chicago Simeon High School and wore number 25 there uh, in tribute to a fallen teammate, a gentleman named Ben Wilson. Ben was unfortunately shot and killed his senior year of high school, but he had an effect on a lot of different players. And so we'll talk about how these yep. kind of intersect. So number one, you have Derek Rose, uh, who wore number 25, Ben Wilson's number 25 at Simeon, went to Memphis, wanted to wear number 25 there. He couldn't because it had already been retired for Penny Hardaway. Penny Hardaway went to the Orlando Magic uh, and wanted to wear number 25 there, but couldn't because Nick Anderson wore number 25 because he also went to Chicago Simeon High School and was a teammate of Ben Wilson's. He wore number 25 at the University of Illinois, and then he went on to wear number 25 with the Orlando Magic. And maybe there's a little bit of a cloud just over the Ben Wilson effect in general when you think about, uh, you know, Nick Anderson was a good player, but had some really tough beats. Everybody remembers the four missed free throws in the final. Uh, against the Rockets. And also he's the guy who caused Michael Jordan to switch back from number 45 to number 23 because he said 45 ain't 23. And so Michael Jordan switched back to 23, took the $25,000 fine that was associated with that. So Nick Anderson and Derrick Rose are connected in that respect. So that is the inaugural Derrick Rose Award uh, given to Derrick Rose among, among others. Uh, so now let's move to the Hall of Shame. And again, this is bad players or bad moments with people wearing the number 25 and off the top rudy i'm i'm gonna go with maybe a little bit of an obscure one and you can go with some of the other ones but if you remember the 1985 chicago bears todd bell was a defensive back who missed the entire 1985 season in a contract dispute so he missed it all missed the super bowl missed the fridge missed the stupid song Missed it all. So he is in our Hall of Shame. Yeah, nice nice timing, Todd. Um, greatest defense, arguably greatest defense ever. Yeah, Todd, uh, they didn't need you, bro. <laughs> that is quite the distinction. So, yeah, definitely Hall of Shamer. A couple 25s that are just easy to forget. A couple basketball guys. Chandler Parsons, he made you know a $69 million contract for three years and spends most of that time rehabbing from injuries, nursing injuries, dealing with injuries. So pretty, pretty bad career from what compared to what people thought of him. Another one is George Zidick. Uh, Zidick was a first round pick. He averaged all of three points, two rebounds per game in three years with Charlotte, Denver and Seattle. Guess what? He's out of the league now. So there you go. And last but not least, you know, we've we talked about it a little bit in the beginning of the show, but juicers, right? If you're a juicer, 25 is your number, right? You got Barry Bonds, you got Mark McGuire, you got Rafael Palmero, you got Jason Giambi. 25 is the juicer number, huh? 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, all all four of those guys, good or great players, but they're always going to have that cloud over their careers of cheating, lying, Mommy Palmero pointing. <laughs> Seems like Giambi got out of that the best. <laughs> you know, Giambi, Giambi got out of it like nobody remembers. <laughs> yeah, if you remember, he apologized, but not for anything. Right. He just right. said he was yeah. hard, and everyone was just kind of like, Okay. Yeah, the two and the, the, the two guys that got out of that whole thing I thought was really funny is Giambi and Andy Pettit. <laughs> Andy Pettit said, "Yeah, I was taking it uh, injury, you know, injury rehab." And everybody's like, "Yeah, oh, I like Andy Pettit, so it must be cool." But you know, let's keep Clemens out of the freaking Hall of Fame forever because <laughs> he's a jerk. So Giambi says nothing. Pettit basically backs himself into a corner and starts punching himself. Well, I can't yeah. believe this is what it was, and I can't believe I did this, and blah blah blah. Yes, I did. I definitely did it. So, so yeah. anyway, so juicers uh, are definitely on in the hall of shame as well. So Todd Bell, Big White Stiffs, George Zedek, and Chandler Parsons, and the juicers, uh, Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, Rafael Palmero, and Jason Giambi. So let's move on then, Rudy, to heat check. And this is, of course, people who are doing it right now and making a name for themselves and maybe making uh, a case to be on this list at some point. Let's start the heat check with the guy who has been in the league maybe the longest, which is Richard Sherman. I, I think Richard Sherman could be and maybe should be in our just our overall football list of guys. I mean, he's been in our league a long time, very outspoken player, part of the Seattle Seahawks Legion of Boom, obviously won a Super Bowl there. Uh, just lost one with the 49ers and, um, you know, came out of Stanford. I feel like, you know, we're going to see Richard Sherman's going to be on our lives for the, ne- the next 15 years somehow, you know, like a broadcaster or perhaps as a studio analyst or something. But yeah, Richard Sherman definitely on the list of 25s to, to keep watching for. Another guy is really perplexing guy is Ben Simmons. I love Ben Simmons' game at times. I hate Ben Simmons' game at times. He's a six foot ten point guard. He just needs to fit on the right team. I don't think he's at the right team. If you put Ben Simmons with Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Golden State, Ben Simmons would be like MVP candidate. It'd be like Jason Kidd, Ben Simmons, right? You put him in Philly with what they have now, he's just maddening. He's definitely a uh, you know a guy that is right there on a on a tipping point, probably career wise. Yep. Moving to baseball, here's another guy who's a little bit maddening: Byron Buxton of the Minnesota Twins, uh, second pick overall in 2012. They've been waiting for him to be the next big thing in Minnesota for a really long time. He's had injury problems and he's had bad luck with injury problems. You know, last year he played 87 games, he still hit 10 home runs and had a few stolen bases. Um, he's a great defensive player and he's super fast, but he missed time last year with a wrist injury from being hit by a pitch, a concussion from making a diving catch and a torn labrum from smashing into the wall. So Byron Buxton is somebody who might eventually be on the list if and when he he ever breaks through. So we'll kind of keep an eyeball on him. And the last one on the list, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire of the Kansas City Chiefs coming into the league. He is going to wear number 25, which was made famous in Kansas City by Jamal Charles. I'm expecting him to have a huge career. I know we talked about Tua Tagovailoa. uh, when we talked about number one. I'm expecting Clyde to have a Brian Westbrook type career in Kansas City. So he's going to be on the heat check list, even though he hasn't played a down in the NFL. I'm praying to the football gods that we see a lot of NFL football coming in September, but Kansas City is fun to watch and I love Pat Mahomes. So 
Go Chiefs. So, Rudy, it's that time again. Seems like time goes so quickly. We've got the Hall of Fame. I'll start the list with Casey Jones. As you know, Rudy, he has his number 25 retired in Boston. He has 12 rings in the NBA. But but little did you know, he's one of the people who is credited with introducing the bump and run defense in the NFL. So Casey Jones making impact both in the NBA and strangely enough in the NFL. That's a good one. Number four is Joe Neuendijk. Classic two-way player, Hall of Fame talent. I got to watch him up close and personal here it was when he was with the Dallas Stars, which is one of three teams he played on that won a Stanley Cup, which is super rare. Only 11 guys can say that, which is, which is awesome. His number 25 retired by Calgary, and he's one of the top 100 players in NHL history. So Joe Neuendijk is our number four player. Uh, number three, we've talked about him, Fred Blitnikoff, an All-American at Florida State, uh, which is a great trivia question because I don't think anybody can answer it. Uh, the Blitnikoff Award, of course, is given to the most outstanding receiver in college football's FBS division. He set an NFL record with 10 straight seasons of 40 catches or more, the MVP of Super Bowl XI, and uh, is inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1988. So Fred Blitnikoff is number three on the list. Number two is Gail Goodrich. Fantastic player for the Lakers, played with next to Wilt and Jerry West, the logo, and still led the Lakers in scoring. How about that, man? Uh, in 1972, their uh, record-setting year in terms of wins. So Gail Goodrich, uh, former UCLA star, former Lakers star, is our second best, number 25. And now, Tom, number one on our list. It's a tough one. It was a tough one. We both hate it, make believe, but it, this isn't close. It's not even close. Barry Bonds is undoubtedly the all-time greatest 25. You know, you look at the stats on this guy, even without the steroids, and you're just like, the guy had an unbelievable career. If he only hit 60% of the home runs that he hit in San Francisco while he was juicing, he still hits 500 home runs for his career. Before he got big, you know, before his head was the size of a small SUV, he was a Hall of Famer. <laughs> I mean, he was just a Hall of Famer. He was a great player. He was a he was a 30-30 guy. I mean, he's stolen base guy, home run guy, great outfielder, five, you know, five tool guy. Then he takes steroids and you've got managers walking this guy with the bases loaded. <laughs> you got managers walking this guy to start an inning, right? Who does that? That's I mean, maybe Babe Ruth, I guess. I didn't see Babe Ruth. I just, just, it seems like that didn't happen, yet it happened not too long ago where people were so scared of him hitting that he could barely see a strike. And when he saw a strike, when something got in his own, he pummeled it every time. It was an incredible run he had. Steroids or no, the guy's a Hall of Famer. It's the stupidest argument ever. To yeah, say he's say not. heaven is for he's good people unlikable. and the Hall of Famous for good baseball players and Barry Bonds uh, was certainly that. Here's another little stat, and we'll we'll sort of leave on on this. If every one of his 762 major league home runs was a strikeout, he would still have a better on base percentage and lower strikeout percentage than Willie Stargell, Reggie Jackson, Mike Schmidt, Sammy Sosa, and Alex Rodriguez. That's how good. <laughs> Barry Bonds is. So as much as we don't like the guy, it isn't close. Barry Bonds is number one. So to summarize the list from five to one, it's Casey Jones, Joe Newendike, Fred Bolitnikoff, Gail Goodrich, and Barry Bonds. Awesome. 
Good list. It's a good number. Good list. Good number. And that'll do it for this edition of Putting Up Numbers. If you'd like to check out our show notes and more, be sure to check out our website, puttingupnumbers.com. We'll be back with another edition in the very near future. And until then, from the City of Angels, I'm Tom Davis. And I am Rudy Klanick. We'll catch you next time on Putting Up Numbers. 